The Start On Demand. demand. A manhunt in Manitoba led RCMP to issue a rare emergency alert that was not an amber alert, saying that the man they were looking for was perceived to be an immediate threat to the public. So the emergency alerts went out. He was arrested soon after. Did you get the alerts? And did you get the follow-up alert saying that the threat was over? We also spent some time today talking about periods. An Ontario period product company is giving one paid day a month to women so that they can deal with the difficulties that come with their cycles. So is it time to talk more about periods? And it is home opener day. The Winnipeg Jets versus the Anaheim Ducks at Canada Life Centre tonight. We check in with a super fan and we had lots of fun talking about your favorite Jets memories. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, October 21st podcast for The Start. It is game day and we got lots of hockey to talk about. But I think before that, I guess we should start with this manhunt, hey? Because I, I was watching TV last night. I was watching the first episode of Chucky. On Showcase, I was watching it on demand, not my recorded PVR or PVR recording, but on demand, and my TV went black, and then it turned red, and then I, the, that weird, you know, alarm sound, and then I saw my phone light up like a Christmas tree. Uh, little, that was kind of weird, Greg. Have we ever seen something like that from the RCMP? I don't think I have, other than an amber alert, of course, which we've become familiar with. But, Loren, uh, I was in a similar situation as Brett. I was watching Global News. I record it every day, and as opposed to watching it live, I will watch it uh, on my PVR so I can fast-forward through the commercials and uh, just kind of get through it uh, quicker than otherwise. And in the middle of my PVR recording... That message came up. So it actually interrupted what I was watching on the PVR, and I was absolutely blown away. I got the message on my phone. Both my kids did. Did you get it on your phone? No, I didn't get the actual alert that would have gone out to the public on my phone. And quite frankly, I haven't received any of them on my phone since the public alert system began, oh, at least a year and a half ago. Maybe it's even two years. And so I'm... I don't know what that is, but I also, my husband didn't get it on his phone, but I did know right away, of course, because I signed up for all these media alerts and different things. And so what was concerning and also raised so many questions for so many people is the change in language. And so this first email that went out from the RCMP in the early evening was to say that this man was wanted, that police were actively searching for him, that he's considered armed and dangerous, and that Wesley Wadeen was wanted in relation to uttering threats and pointing a firearm. And that was the first release. And then it really escalated. That release changed uh, around, I want to say, was it 7 o'clock, guys? Do you think you got that? Maybe a little bit earlier than that, where suddenly it was uh, believed to be an immediate threat. So it went from saying, you know, don't approach, he's armed and dangerous, to this person is an immediate threat. And that's when those alerts went out to everybody. And so, of course, there was all sorts of questions about what changed, what do we know, what's going on here. And I think we have many of those questions still this morning in terms of what happened over the last 36, 48 hours. And we're going to get into that a bit just after 6.15, Brett. But it was a bizarre situation that I think many people in all walks of life were like, whoa, what's going on here? To the point that even, you know, I'm far south from the Selkirk area where this warning went out and... um you know, we had a neighbor kid over who lived three doors down, and I, I said, we need to walk him home. Like, I just didn't, I was just so uncomfortable with everything that was going on. And it's interesting as well to see, okay, so you say you didn't get it. I know that uh, Cameron Poitras says he got it, but Sky, producer Sky, did not. Mm. And I was talking to Sam Stevens, one of our neighbors at Peggy at 99.1. She says she has family in Guelph that got, got it on their television. Yeah. Like, and that's been part of the issue, too. There's people who've been getting those alerts. I mean, this the questions around this manhunt aside, you're raising a good point, Brett, about the questions about this alert system and how it's working because we have been talking about that for a while. The phones that are getting or not getting it, is that a provider thing? Is that a system issue? And I know a few, was it a few years ago, I believe there was a 
Amber Alert in Ontario that actually triggered phones here. Yes. People were questioning that, right? And so that was happening in the reverse. But I mean, you know, when it comes to some of these things, I just think put it out there and I'm not going to get annoyed if I'm, especially with an Amber Alert, right? But that is bizarre that Ontario folks would be getting it. Especially when, if you go back and listen to the audio or watch the video of the RCMP news conference last night, which we had on uh, streaming at globalnews.ca, uh, the RCMP spokesperson mentioned the fact that they had sort of sent it out in a strategic fashion geographically and even mentioned there's no reason for everyone in Manitoba to get this alert. It was part of the question and answer period. And then to imagine that it was received on televisions in Southern Ontario, obviously glitches in this system. Still, I have a question as to what, what changed that at, you know, two minutes or three minutes to seven o'clock when police had been essentially looking for this individual since noon the day before uh what took so long and what is it that 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 initiated what was it that was happening uh, in this search for this this person that initiated this alert and then things really happened quickly it was just before eight o'clock that the the news conference took place to let people know what was going on why that alert was sent and then uh, there was a notification hey uh, all media that was at this at this media conference uh, just a few moments ago, please come back to RCMP headquarters because it was uh, within the hour that they had uh, this individual in custody. So we'll have more on this with Global's Joe Scarpelli coming up in just a few moments. And as mentioned, game day, the home opener, Winnipeg Jets versus the Anaheim Ducks. Greg Mackling, like, look, I know I... I like the sports and I support our teams and I know Loren, you pay keen interest, but Greg, you live yeah, I like and the Caesars, die. Though. Let's be clear, the Caesars at the game. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, Greg lives and dies by this. Is what you're trying to say? Yes, it's exactly what I'm trying to say, Greg Mackling. You live and die and breathe sports. Your your Winnipeg teams. I do, and it's a little bit of a sickness. I confess, uh, but it's a lifelong sickness. I've embraced it. Those around me have embraced it. And, uh, you know, it's about the Winnipeg on the front of the jersey. I've always said that, or the W on the helmet in the case of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. It, it's pride in place. I've got a tremendous amount of pride uh, of being a Winnipegger. And I think a lot of it stems from our sports teams. Not everybody grew up in the 1970s uh, having their hockey team win championships uh, year after year. Uh, those of us in the 70s, WHA Jets fans did. And so it's uh, something that I, I wear with a lot of pride. And it just, uh, there's nothing like supporting the home team in their own arena, on the road, wherever it is. Proud to do it. I was caught off guard yesterday. I'm watching TV. Screen goes black. Emergency alert pops up. Screen turns red. And then I see my phone light up, Greg. Manitoba RCMP say a man considered to be armed and dangerous and an immediate threat to the public was arrested just hours after a pair of emergency alerts were sent out warning about the unfolding situation Wednesday. Global's Joe Scarpelli has more. RCMP say this all started on Tuesday after the suspect allegedly pointed a gun in Selkirk, but he managed to escape, sparking a large search involving multiple police agencies. RCMP considered him to be armed and dangerous and on the loose with several arrest warrants out for other offenses. Police came across him again in the interlake on Wednesday, but he got away a second time. After sightings Wednesday afternoon in Selkirk and on Highway 17 in the Interlake, police put out an emergency alert warning everyone in Selkirk, the Interlake and Winnipeg to be aware and stay inside. The superintendent explains why the alert was issued and why on day two of the search. What I can say is there's a number of factors that emerged throughout today, specifically his erratic actions when we attempted to pursue him and apprehend him and the actions that he displayed post that event led us to believe that his actions were and were escalating and his actions were also unpredictable. Therefore, we thought that he was an ongoing and heightening risk to the public. An hour and 15 minutes after the alert was issued, police said the suspect was in custody and few other details have been released. Joe Scarpelli, Global News. So clearly more to be learned in this story. Again, as Joe said, this concern from police regarding this suspect started 
Tuesday. It wasn't until yesterday that we learned that they were looking for him and people in that area were warned to be vigilant and to stay away. And then there was that second release, as I said, where the language was updated to that immediate threat. And so it's not clear, did something transpire again over the 24 hours where that alert was first issued? And by that, I mean just the email that went out to the public, the tweets, the Facebook messages from police. And then there was the alert alert, if I can call it that, the one that appeared on the phones and the TVs and all the rest that said there was this immediate uh, immediate threat. So clearly things, as the officer said, transpired that led them to believe they needed to do that. We don't know what those things were. We also don't know. We heard that there was arrest warrants had already been issued for this person. We don't know what they were for. Police wouldn't release that detail. So really lots more questions about this one, guys, including just how the overall alert system worked. I, I do wonder, you know, we have seen some really tragic events of, of people who are involved in manhunts on the loose where really awful things happen either to members of the public or to police officers and police are criticized for not putting out alerts in a timely fashion or maybe not even putting them out at all. And so you always wonder what goes into the minds of the folks who are trying to just get information out as quickly as possible. And then when the situation escalates, how do they do that as effectively and as efficiently as possible. Yeah, I think that part of it answered my question clearly uh, from the the officer there suggesting that things did escalate and they felt as though uh, this individual's demeanor and actions were increasingly dangerous and posed a a larger and greater threat to public safety. So uh, I I appreciate that. I appreciate that clarification and Joe's story as well. I'm curious as to what actions people took when they got this emergency alert because I immediately went up and triple-checked all my doors you know, I'm at the north end of the city. I yeah. double-checked the front door, the patio door, made sure my gates were locked. How many of you did the same thing? Would be curious to hear from you. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we have Winnipeg Blue Bombers tickets to give away for Saturday's game against BC at IG Field. And we're going to tie in the Winnipeg Jets because it's the home opener tonight, the Jets versus the Ducks. So if you want to win those bomber tickets, we're celebrating Winnipeg sports today. We're going to ask you at 204-780-6868 to tell us about your favorite Winnipeg Jets memories. So Cam Poitras, host of Jets at Noon. Why don't we start with you, sir? Well, the one that I feel the most, and, I, and I, just because it's probably my most recent favorite moment, uh, was Nick Ehlers scoring in uh, in overtime back in Game 3 against the Oilers. I mean, that one I was, like, screaming around the house. Uh, but uh, my favorite memory's got to be their, their return. I mean, I, I missed out on... Uh, the Jets in my youth, they left in 1996. I was, I was a young kid. I remember watching the last game against the Red Wings in the playoffs uh, with my dad. We were on our way back to Winnipeg from from uh, from living on the Sunshine Coast there in BC. And I missed out on, you know, my youth, sort of my upbringing uh, with the Winnipeg Jets. And so, you know, I, I heard about my uncles and my dad always talk about the Jets and all these great memories that they had. And I kind of missed out on all that kind of stuff in sort of my formative years where sort of that kind of stuff is kind of drilled into you. And you sort of have those sort of magic memories. So uh, when they came back, that that and you know partying with everybody at the Forks, and it was just like so joyous. Uh, that has to be my favorite memory. That's a good one. How old would you have been in '96? Uh, five. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's fair. <laughs> uh, sometimes I'll just like to remind uh, everyone on the panel we have a couple of youngsters. So Fortier, you're in the same. You're the same age as Mr. Poitras. Yeah, I am. So what would you be serving up as your favorite Jets memory? Uh, that would be April 9th of 2015 when Winnipeg Jets 2.0 finally made the playoffs for the first time. I I remember they were playing a away game. I, I don't remember who they were playing, but uh, I went to a concert that day. Went to <laughs> they, a concert. they made the playoffs because the Flames beat the Kings. There you year. go. It's, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. But anyways, I went final to a concert. Game of the year. Second final. <laughs> Second last one. Went to a concert, came outside of the concert, and went straight to Por- Porridge and Main. Right from MTS Center, right to Porridge and Main, and we partied up hard, me and my buddy. <laughs> we partied up hard. Yeah. <laughs> what concert was it? It was Marilyn Manson. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a heck of a night for you. <laughs> it was. It was I, I was it working was that else. day in Calgary, and I had to. I was screaming so loud I had to run outside, and I was just like doing laps around like this parking lot because I was just ab- delirious. But <laughs> um, Skylar Peters. 
Yeah, I, I'm coming in the same boat as Cam. Like, uh, me and all my buddies had to basically pick other teams as, as we grew up because the Jets weren't around. Uh, so when they went on their uh, run to the Western Conference Final in 2018, it was just insane. Like, my, my friend group, Scott... Uh, Kings fans, Habs fans, Leafs fans. I'm a Blackhawks fan. Uh, and every single game, uh, it, during that cup run, we all got together at our buddy Hunter's house and God bless him and his parents for putting up with us like every two nights for like, you know, a month and a half. And we all got together and cheered on the Jets. Like we were all unified. Uh, and I just remember their, uh, their game against Nashville when Jacob Truba scored. Uh, it was just like electric. We were like a bunch of like 18, 19 year old dudes just running around screaming, hugging each other, jumping up and down. So, uh, yeah, that's the stuff I'll never forget. That was, uh, that was pretty awesome. And now we all just cheer for our own teams again. So it's less fun. Oh, oh, really? So the Jets uni- unity is gone. <laughs> Well, we like, I just thought we don't have that situation again. You know, mm-hmm. like at the time, I think Chicago was out first round that year. Uh, the Leafs weren't really like they're as good as they are right now. And the same with the Habs and stuff. So we, like, all of our rooting interests were done. So we all kind of banded around uh, the Jets, especially when they were in the Western final against, uh, against Vegas there. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Loren McNabb, what about you? Well, I've come to realize it all comes down to the forks. I didn't get to many games when I was younger. There was just two I went to just growing up in Minnedosa. And I remember getting to the first one where they booed Gretzky when he played with the Kings. And we were big Gretzky fans and near tears. Why are they booing him? But, of course, they're Jets fans. And then our, our big memory was I remember going to a high school field trip at the forks. And we saw Timu Solani, Timu Solani, like just walking around shopping. And, man, that poor guy. We followed him for like forever, just stalked him hard. It was really kind of unfortunate for him, but it was so cool to see this like hero of yours just out at the forks doing his thing in the late nineties. And then when I think of the forks and, and the meaning it kind of connection it has to the Jets, of course, I was there with my husband and my newborn son. We rushed to the forks the day we learned the Jets were coming back. And then I loved the Jets skating on the river at the Forks. I thought that was a tremendous day. And so I've just come to realize it's really about the people coming together and either seeing your heroes or being with one another just to sort of experience all that it is to have that thing that means so much to you. So it kind of just circles back to the the party and being together, I think. The Jets and the River, I forgot about that. It was so cold. So cold. Oh, it was so cool. Yes. And I guess because it was cold that one time, it just sort of (laughs) prevented them, scared them off from making it an annual event. And, and Loren, don't feel bad about following Timu around the forks. Kids in River Heights used to knock on his door and ask him to come out and play street hockey, rummage through his mail. I could tell you what house (laughs) he used to live at. (laughs) Most most kids in Winnipeg did back in in the early 90s. Okay, cool. I, I felt bad about that since. Wow, that's neat. Uh, Greg, what, <laughs> what is your favorite Jets memory, Greg? Do well, you have one? No, of course I don't. But if I have to pick one, it goes back uh, to the 1977-78 season. Anders Hedberg, Ulf Nielsen, the Swedish uh, superstars that played together with Bobby Hull for years in our city were my two favorite players. My brother Kevin and I idolized Ulf and Anders. We even had a dog named Nielsen. Uh, that's how much we loved uh, the Jets and, and loved those two players in particular. We would go to practices. We were in the Junior Jets Catelli Fan Club. We would go to these events uh, at Vock High School or at uh, Winnipeg Arena. And uh, in the middle, near the end of that season, it was announced that the the duo of Hedberg and Nielsen were actually going to the New York Rangers. They were leaving for the National Hockey League. And it's not very often you get a heads up like that and you, and you know your two favorite players are leaving. Well, the Jets went on to win the Avco Cup that year and they clinched the Avco Cup on my ninth birthday and I was lucky enough to be at Winnipeg Arena when they hoisted the trophy. Anders and Hedberg, Anders and Olfi played their last game. It's... Um, I don't know, just a confluence of events that you just don't get very often in one's life. So that's uh, probably the most precious for me. Game day, home opener day, Winnipeg Jets, Anaheim Ducks tonight. And hey, for thousands of Winnipeggers, that means finally, finally seeing all the action in person, Loren. 
Yeah, our next guest has no shortage of, of options of what to wear tonight. Greg's basement, well, actually Greg Macklin as well, but sorry, our next guest is also <laughs> named Greg. And his, his basement as well, there are dozens of jets, jerseys, foam fingers, posters, pictures, papers, paraphernalia from the old arena, new and more. Of course, it's an homage to the jets, a cave of hockey wonders. And I'm guessing it's a pretty sweet place to watch the game, but Greg Burnett can't wait to get out of the house and hit Canada Life center to see the jets in person tonight other greg yes uh greg burnett <laughs> joins us now how are you burnett i'm very good thank you you got 15 on your back tonight uh what jersey will you be wearing to uh usher in really it's sort of the next era right this post covid era of national hockey league hockey and winnipeg jets hockey yeah, no, for sure. Um, I actually struggle, actually, which jersey to wear tonight. Um, Hedberg is my um, idol, but I thought I would put, uh, I'm going to wear Howard Chuck tonight because he passed away during the pandemic, and this is the first regular season game since then, so I thought I'd wear my Howard Chuck jersey in honour of Ducky. Who are you taking to the game? My daughter, uh, my youngest daughter, and my mom. I think, you know... <laughs> There's no understating the impact sports can have on a community, Greg. But when we talk about tonight and what's going on with this home opener, I mean, we haven't had a regular season game played with fans in the stands in 20-plus months. And so for you, yeah, you have a pretty sweet basement set up. I've seen the photos. But what's the difference from watching it from your couch versus being in the stands? Well, typically when I'm watching it at home, I'm, I, for me personally, it's no different. I don't talk to anybody while the play is on. <laughs> And I jump and scream when the Jets score a goal. I guess it just I look more normal inside, you know, the building when I'm jumping around screaming as opposed to downstairs where quite often it's just my dog and I um, during road games. But my uh, my youngest daughter will often come because her bedroom's downstairs. She'll get her phone ready to videotape me when she um, is suspecting something's about to happen. And um, she's shown, shown me some pretty, I guess, maybe embarrassing videos because I'm by myself cheering as if I'm in the midst of 15,000 people. <laughs> but it's, uh, I guess that's what passion is. How did this all start for you, Greg? Uh, March 17th, 1976, for my eighth birthday. I got an autographed picture from Bobby Hall, and I went to my first Jet game against the Calgary Cowboys. I played hockey at the time, but I didn't know anything about the Jets until that night. And then once I went to that first game, the Jets won 3-2. And um, ever since my, the following year, my mom saw how much I loved it. And so she, uh, we got a mini-pack the next year. And then the following year, we got season tickets. So as far as tonight's game is concerned, it's been so long since you've been able to go to the arena to see them. But while you were watching the games during the pandemic, what was it like for you to watch the teams play to empty stands? Um, well, when the play, when the game is actually going, um, I'm just immersed in the game. But, uh, when the Jets, uh, swept Edmonton with all those, um, great overtime games, I just couldn't help but feel even though a level of joy, because after, uh, Connor's goal, I ran down the street with my arms up in the air. If anyone looked out their window, it would have been pretty weird. It would have been straight out of that, uh, movie, um, with the guy's arms up in the air. However, I get up clothes on. So that was good. Um, but I just couldn't imagine what it would have been like being in the building had it been under normal circumstances when Connor or Ehlers got those overtime goals. It just would have been probably, it would have been epic. And I thought about that after. And so there's a level of kind of disappointment. I won't say sadness because I was happy they won. But uh, yeah, the, the fans are what make pro sports. No one can dispute that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Greg. And you talked about putting on your Howard Chuck jersey for tonight's game and the symbolism behind that for you. And you're a decades-long fan then. And I'm just curious, you know, I know players have their game day ritual. How are you feeling this morning for game day as a fan? Oh, awesome. Um, I normally wake up pretty early, but this morning I was up at like quarter to four. So I've uh, started my day off a little earlier. I usually get up around five and take my dogs for a walk. Today the we were on the road by around 4, 4.15, so um, there was no problem getting out of bed this morning, and um, I'm pretty pumped. Usually on a work day, after work, I usually meet my mom up downtown, and we either stop in for a bite deep before the game, or we do laps around the building before we head to our seats. 
So we're asking our listeners this morning, Greg, uh, their favorite uh, Jets memory. One of our listeners here might be touching on one uh, that you and I remember fondly. Uh, my favorite WHA Jets memory goes back to January 1978, January 5th to be precise, I think is the date, when the Jets played the Soviet national team, the Red Army team, and won 5-3 at Winnipeg Arena. My brother and I got to go in place of our parents and sit in their seats. That comes from Scott. What's yours? That would be number one on my list as well. I was at two of the three off-court cup games, but um, that game there was by, because back then it was, you know, what I knew about hockey, that was the team that took Canada to eight games in the Summit Series, more or less, because they had Harlamov, Trechak, all those names that you watch in the Summit Series were playing the Jets, and we were the first club team to ever beat them. And so that was number one. And I still get annoyed today when, you know, Habs fans talk about that. Central Red Army game of the century garbage game. That was their farm team. We beat the national team. So all that to Habs fans. And the second one was um, I was at the game against the Czechoslovakia national team where the Jets were down 4 nothing after two periods and they came back and won 6-5. I believe Peter Sullivan got the winner late in the game. That was probably my second favorite um, memory as a kid, for sure. Well, Greg Burnett, super fan of the Winnipeg Jets. Have fun tonight, bud. Will do. Thank you very much. Small town salute. And this morning we are taking a trip to southwestern Manitoba. That's right, Brett. We're heading to Cartwright, Manitoba. And, Loren, there aren't too many places in Westman to which you've never been. Have you been to Cartwright? Oh, man, I am frantically looking on a map now to tell you that I believe my answer is yes. I have. I have to have been just given where it is. But let's ask our next guest to explain where she is and what's going on. We welcome Pam Enns of the Cartwright Mather Health Auxiliary. Good morning, Pam. Good morning. How are you? Okay, I am well. But as I said, I was just searching to make sure I knew what I was talking about. Where is Cartwright? Uh, we are exactly 240 kilometers from Winnipeg. We are southwest, and we are on the corner of Highway 5 and 3, and Highway 5 is south of Glenboro, so we're right just about five miles from the U.S. border. Awesome. What's so terrific about your part of the province? It's a beautiful drive through there. You start to get into a bit of the rolling hills, and you mentioned your location uh, southwest of Winnipeg, but close to the border. What do you like about living there? Um, the beauty of it is simply that there's a lot of hidden spots that nobody would have any idea about that are very pretty. I mean, you can see animals any seven days a week. We have gravel roads, um, hundreds of miles of them. Um, so any day, I mean, there's deer, there's owl, there's cattle, anything. You don't, you don't see that in the city, so it's, it's very pretty. Um, you have to, there isn't a lot of functions out here. You have to be creative, but we have the space to do that, so there's Quadding, cycling, riding adventures. Our yards provide us with a lot of space. So, like myself, I do a lot of bale painting and makeshift forts. There's snowmobiling, ice fishing, and more volunteer opportunities than probably anywhere. So you can certainly keep yourself busy. Tell us about the Health Auxiliary and what it does for the people who live in and around Cartwright. Yeah, the Health Auxiliary is actually really cool. It's probably the only town in our area that provides a lot of different equipment for seniors so you can get wheelchairs crutches walkers you know any day of the week and it's free of charge a lot of people give little donations so that's just little one uh, one little part of our senior services there's two groups there Um, even um, neighboring towns use our um, equipment they don't have that so it's really nice very nice and senior services it is extremely active out here. I mean, before COVID, obviously, uh, we were on the road all the time. I mean, casino tours, yard tours, music in the park, senior lunches. There's there's a lot of stuff going on. Pam, it's Greg speaking. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine, Greg. You're Allison's connection. I am. So uh, for the uninitiated, my baby sister, Allison, lives in Cartwright. Yeah. And she's been dealing with uh, MS for almost a decade now. Yeah. And uh, I found out what you folks did for my little sister uh, mm-hmm. just about a week ago. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. So talk about... 
Look, it's not just seniors you help. My my little no, sister right. is in her thirties, so yeah. you know she, she she struggles to walk these days. Do I understand correctly that you've given her a mobility device like a scooter? Yes, between Health Auxiliary and our senior services, we actually purchased that for her. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I just uh, I wanted to bring you on and talk about Cartwright. Uh, mm-hmm. My sister loves living in the community, and I understand Good. why. So thank Good. you for everything you've done for my little sister. We're eternally grateful for the existence mm-hmm. of a group like yours, not only in Cartwright, but mm-hmm. around the province. And, and you're taking a, her away today? Where are you taking we her? We are going to the casino today. So she, <laughs> she said she didn't know how to gamble. I said, it's, just, it's really easy. You'll lose your money Don't really teach quick. her! No teacher comes too easy in our family. You know, we play games all the way there on the bus. We have a lot of fun, actually. They have, there's 22 of us going today, so it's really nice. Well, Where do you go? We go to Carberry. Nice. Well, so it's an hour north. Yes. And we're leaving. We're picking her up at uh, quarter to ten. She's our first stop just to take care of her. And, yeah, people love her, so it's all good. Pam. And some of us are dressing up, so there'll be a few that look uh, like, you know, fools, but whatever. The party bus. <laughs> I think we should call them at laughs. 9.45 and see what this party bus has going on. See what's yeah, going no, down. exactly. I was chuckling there when I got on the phone and you said there was a traffic report and a lot going on. I, like, I haven't seen a car out here yet, so I'm not to... Uh, <laughs> and then I was chuckling yesterday when you said you were going to give us a shout-out, and I was thinking we've been shouted out well, all right a lot at sports, but never actually. <laughs> no, it's all good. No, I appreciate you guys calling. I'm chuckling about that. My husband had to go sit in the living room because he knows I can't focus very long. So You did great, Pam. And you kept the language clean, which is oh great. Always a bonus. <laughs> you have no idea. Oh, yes, I do, Pam. Yes, I do. I know how hard that is. <laughs> do, do you never type duck in your text messages as well, Pam? <laughs> There's a lot I type in there you wouldn't want to see. Pam Enns of the Cartwright Mather Health Auxiliary joining us live on 680 okay. CJOB. Pam, thank you very much for this. Yeah. What a pleasure. Well, thank you very much. Have a good day. It was just before 7 o'clock last night that an alert went out on both television and to many phones around the province warning Manitobans of an armed and dangerous suspect believed to be an immediate threat to the public. That was from RCMP. The suspect was wanted in connection with allegations of uttering threats and pointing a firearm, as well as arrest warrants for multiple other offenses, Loren. He was arrested not long after those first alerts went out. Yeah, and so for some Manitobans, we heard from many this morning, it was, you know, it would be unfolding in their backyard. We had Scott talking about driving to the Winnipeg Beach area, and then we had one listener who texted to say that our road was blocked. They would not let me go home until I told them my wife was alone. The RCMP then escorted me down our road. Our area was crawling with RCMP, even ERT teams. That's the emergency response teams. He says, I think they caught the guy a mile north of us, but I don't know for certain where that was. And so it obviously it would be unnerving if it was happening right around you. And then, of course, the questions as we've been asking about um, the alerts this morning, Brett, in your question of the day. I didn't even get a single alert, but that's been a problem since these alerts started a few years back, whether it's, you know, for tornado warnings or amber alerts or this one last night. I just have never got them to my phone. I think that's a phone or maybe provider issue, but then also question the that we've been asking Brett about that second alert, not just the alerts that said, Hey, there's an immediate threat. This guy is, this suspect is potentially out there, but many people are saying, Hey, why wasn't there a follow-up alert saying, well, now he's been arrested, you know, don't have to worry anymore. Yeah. I know that uh, one of our listeners sent us a screenshot saying that they, they got a notification that showed that the public safety threat uh, was over, and that notification came from the Weather Network because they are often used uh, to send out these emergency notifications. I didn't get that one because I've actually disabled all notifications from the Weather Network. I find their app just too invasive. They insert themselves into my my notification bar at all times, and that just drives me crazy. So I don't get notifications from them. Uh, so the primary notification, I'm not entirely sure uh, where that one came from. I'm just happy that I at, le- at the very least got it, Greg. Yes, and uh, I think uh, those that are texting in, expressing their concerns about, hey, you you know, you put me on high alert. I live in the area. I was concerned throughout the night. 
Uh, is it unreasonable to expect a second alert to let me know that that situation has ended? I would say no. If you got that alert, you should have gotten, in my opinion, you should have received a second alert saying, hey, all is, all is well. Thank you for your attention, RCMP. Uh, have uh, this individual in custody. We appreciate your attention to this matter, and away we go. We want to talk about something that I think at first might make some of you uncomfortable. And I, and that's fair because um, it, it's a, an uncomfortable topic for some just because they might not know much about it. But that's why we're going to talk about it right now because half the population in this world deals with this every single month, half at some point in their lives. And I'm, yeah, I'm talking about our periods, okay? So this morning, we want to ask listeners whether or not you think this is something that needs to be given more consideration in conversations in homes or or in the workplace, maybe even schools. Why are we asking that? Well, there's this Kitchener, Ontario company that's adopted a paid period leave policy. So it's going to give menstruating workers a day off a month this company makes the Diva Cups with cups. So that's a period product, um, a product for menstruation. So it makes sense that they might be people who say, okay, we want to lead the way on providing this one day off per month. But here's why they're doing it. Uh, they don't just want to give workers a day off to deal with maybe any of the effects or side effects, might be pain or other, but they want to break down that stigma in the workplace and the taboo that might have women still in 2021, covertly asking or whispering, you know, do you have a tampon I can borrow or something like that, as if it's some sort of dark secret, instead of just sharing what's going on, that again, once you hit maybe 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, you deal with that for a good chunk of your life. Everybody in their life has someone who deals with this uh, and, and just lives with it because it is part of life. I haven't been in the workplace in a while, but um, when I am, hitting this time of my month. I know there are days where I've had no choice but to share with you both what's going on. And Brett, I think I was maybe like three weeks into the job when I had to, I barely knew you at that point and just say, hey, just so you know, here's where I'm at right now today. And it was clear to me it didn't bug you at all. And I, I'm hoping you didn't mind the conversation. No, I didn't mind it. I actually appreciated the honesty because as a man, this is something that I can't even really comprehend. I have no idea what it feels like to have to go through that and to have to go through that on a monthly basis. You know, I used to say to when I was in relationships, I, I felt bad for my girlfriends because I think a lot of people, if they're dealing with it at work, they you, they might try to put on a, a brave face or toughen up, so to speak. But when you're at home uh, and you can sort of let your guard down and that's when the, you really see the pain that, you know, the cramping just, it, it looks like this awful thing that women have to deal with monthly and so how why would i freak out about you telling me that uh because it's no i'm not affected by it you're the one who's having to endure this monthly cycle well it's nothing uh, different in my opinion loren than when i have headaches or i have you know anxiety issues or whatever it might be we're open and honest with each other about what's going on and if you feel comfortable sharing as to why maybe you might need to excuse yourself for an hour an entire program i don't think that should be a problem it's all about health it's all about our well-being but there's another issue i think that comes up when we're discussing this and that's accessibility to uh you know, menstrual products or feminine hygiene products, as we've started discussing or, or calling them. And there are a number of countries, including Canada, that have discussed or in the process of, uh, of removing the tax on tampons and other products. Early this year, I think it was the Winnipeg City Council who asked for a report on the cost of providing free products in publicly owned facilities because, you know, that can be a, a gigantic issue. Scotland is already doing that. So they announced that they were going to provide uh, free products in public facilities. And I think Sweden actually started looking at a program that would better help uh, educate employers and employees about periods with the goal of making it easier to talk about in the workplace. But, you know, help me understand just why that's important. I think I know, but uh, from your perspective. Because it's supposed to be normal, right? Like the idea, I think, is you're supposed to make this a thing it, because it's such a big part of the public that that ha that just by the nature of how you're born, you have a period once a month and every 28 days or 32 or whatever it might be, you go through this. And so just to more normalize it, I think is cool. You know, I don't want to have to grab a product and hide it in my pocket on the way to the washroom. Like I don't hide the toilet paper that I bring into the house every day. Right. As if, like, again, I... 
well, look what's done with that. So I mean, like, I think, you know, we, these are all products that are just part of our life. And we want to talk about it. And Brett, I just think, you know, there's room to, to have like, you know, have lighthearted moments about it. And I don't know if we have time for this next clip I was we'll hoping to time. play. Okay, so I I just wanted to bring it up because, you know, it's just about having the conversation. Schools are doing a better part with this now and educating boys and girls about what goes on. I know parents of boys are working hard to make sure boys understand what their friends or girlfriends might be going through. And I just mean friends who are girls. And then Modern Family a few years ago, I just wanted to play this clip because they did this cringeworthy, hilarious episode that had me thinking, well, at least they're bringing periods into the mainstream. And this scene starts with Claire Dumphy sitting on the couch watching an SPCA commercial on sad and sick pets, and she's bawling. (laughs) Honey, are you okay? I'm today <laughs> what's wrong nothing no your mom's just uh feeling emotional she was like this last month and the month before and the month before <laughs> what i could kill someone no i can't hear you this stupid phone gets no reception in this stupid house <laughs> dear god no i heard rumors yeah we uh-huh. all had that females living or working in close quarters could eventually get on the same Cycle, but I always assumed that was a story designed to keep women out of the submarine corps. Oh, boy. This isn't milk. What's wrong with me today? My brain's not working right. No. I can't focus. Three legs? It's not fair. I know. It's so sad. Oh, my God. They're going to ruin everything. No, no, no. We, we just need to be extra sensitive. Phil, honey, when do we need to leave? Whatever's good for you, sweetie. Maybe 20 minutes? Whatever you're ready, syncing uh, up. Okay, so I actually went looking this morning. And again, this is just all parts of the conversation. There's all different things we can address here, whether it comes to access to products, days off. There's also people who might not have this happen regularly. There's there there's all sorts of things. I tried to Google this this morning. Is this a scientific fact or not? I'm still sort of really deep down the Google um, pipeline here to try to figure that out. But I think the answer might be yes. We want to start this half hour with a special guest because on Monday, Albertans went to the polls to vote on a variety of plebiscites and referenda, as well as civic elections in the province's two largest cities. It's tremendous what's been going on in Calgary and so and Edmonton and so lovely to see in Edmonton, of course, Amarjeet Sohi was elected. That became the city's first ever mayor of South Asian origin. And meanwhile, just south of there in Calgary, uh, elected its first woman mayor, Jyoti Gondek. Normally, who becomes mayor isn't necessarily big news in Manitoba when we're talking about other provinces, maybe not to some. But there's lots of notables here, Greg. You have a first woman mayor. You have the Edmonton electing their first ever mayor of South Asian origin. And then, of course, the mayor of Calgary we're talking about because there's a big connection here to our province. That's right, Loren. Mayor Gondek is a former Manitoban, and she isn't a former Manitoban in the Anapaquin sense, Brett, where she (laughs) moved away at a young age. Good morning, Mayor Gondek. First of all, congratulations on your election victory. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me on. This is cool. Well, it's uh, great to have you, and of course, we're very proud of the fact that Anna Paquin is, has a Manitoba birth certificate and all of her accomplishments, but it, her connections to Manitoba is, is disjointed. Yours, I can say confidently, is not. Tell us about your time in our province and the influence it, it's had on your life. Yeah, I moved to Manitoba from London, England in 1973 with my mom and dad and my grandparents, and we moved into St. Vitale. I lived on 76 Ashworth Street and moved around um, in St. Vitale and St. Boniface. Then we lived in Nipua and we lived in Portage and we lived in Brandon. And then I moved back to Winnipeg before heading out to Alberta in 96. Very cool. So uh, there are a lot of people, you know, I saw some comments yesterday, even within amongst friends, we said, oh, wow, this is the first female mayor for Calgary. That's crazy in 2021. And then, you know, I said, wait a minute, here in Manitoba, we're still waiting to elect our first female premier. And so it's still taking a while to cross some of these first hurdles. Why is it important, Jody? 
It's really significant that we normalize the idea that women and people of color can hold leadership positions, especially in places like Alberta, where we have the stereotype of not being diverse. Um, That stereotype is actually false. So I'm really happy to see the diversity reflected in our local governments that actually represents our population. So it's um, it's an absolute privilege to hold that position right now. What are Calgary's largest challenges that you're facing right now? Well, from an economic perspective, the biggest thing that we need to tackle and stay on top of is the vacancy rate in our downtown. It has an impact on the property tax revenue that we're able to generate as a city and that limits our budget. And so we need to make sure that we are drawing talent and businesses into those empty spaces and that we're repurposing them to be more relevant and contemporary. So that's top of mind. And then, you know, from a social and environmental perspective, we've got to make sure that we have a close eye on climate action and that we're addressing issues of poverty and homelessness in our city, very similar to many other metropolitan centres. Calgary has grown so dramatically since 1983 when the C train was first launched and public transportation is something that I look at very closely, uh, Mayor. And uh, this is something that I think Winnipeg could learn a lot from Calgary on. Just talk about uh, the value and the quality of life that uh, infrastructure, that transit infrastructure that Calgary's invested in and plans on investing in over the years. Uh, just creates that that uh, one of the best places on earth to live uh, according to many surveys yeah we've done really well in terms of ranking high on livability indexes and um, a lot of it has to do with accessibility in the city it is a little bit frustrating that our north south transit spine isn't um, complete it's underway finally but if you think about all the experiences you've had in cities where you can hop a train or there is a bus network that's easy to access It just gives you that freedom to move about at a very affordable level. And that's the type of thing every city should be striving towards. And so I'd I'd be happy to work with Winnipeg to make sure that we're tackling our common issues together. And we have so many common issues. You know, I was reading, I think it was in the Calgary Herald a few weeks ago, Jody, just about the idea that we often talk in Manitoba about the migration out of our province. And in years past, that used to lead a lot of people to go to Alberta. You're a former Manitoba now in in Alberta. And I was reading with interest that there was also a concern about people leaving Alberta because they were worried about opportunities and jobs and where, what the future would hold. And so I know that's kind of in some ways a provincial question, something you might direct more to the premier, but your job as mayor of Calgary is also to show people the opportunities that exist in your own city. So how how can you as mayor work to retain that talent and make sure people see that there is room for go- growth in and outside potentially the oil industry? It's a really important question that we have to ask ourselves, um, not only locally and provincially, but federally as well. And I think that's why it's significant to understand what young professionals in particular are looking for when it comes to being employed in the labor force. <clears throat> and what I've heard from a lot of people in our city is that they're looking for meaningful employment, something that feels like they're actually making a difference. And the struggle that we've had as a city is we had artificially high income levels for such a long period of time that we are just starting to get used to the fact that an entry-level position will only get you an entry-level salary. That's something I was really used to when I left Winnipeg. Um, And Calgary had that really um, buoyant economy that allowed people to pursue higher entry-level positions. So we're just coming down to reality right now, but the big thing is to make sure that we've got work that's relevant to people. Just looking at your website here, and you talk about how you can no longer afford to be polarized and allow the pendulum to swing between extremes, never resting in a position of balance. Uh, How polarized do you think Calgary is? Well, Calgary, like most other places in the world, I think has its share of the population that wants to label ideas and people. And so we see this desire in the 15 seconds that we have an attention span anymore to label people as left or right and, you know, to call things good or bad. And that's got to stop. Life is more nuanced than that. And the, the wicked problems that we're addressing are incredibly complex and can't be bucketed into polarized um, ideologies. So, you know, we've got the same problem everyone else does. We just need to start having wider dialogue. Mayor Gondek, uh, now are you officially mayor? Or are you mayor-elect? I should have asked this at the beginning. I'm just trying to sort this out. Hey, that's okay. Uh, this just happened to me, so I'm getting used to it, too. I am <laughs> mayor-elect. 
until Monday. We get sworn in Monday afternoon, and then I become official along with the other 14 members of council. Well, thanks for making time for us. I know you've been doing plenty of media across the country, and to make time for your old home province uh, means a lot to us. Congratulations again, and uh, we look forward to staying in touch with you over the years. Well, thanks for having me on, and I just want to give a shout-out to all my friends and family in Winnipeg, and a special one to Roger and Stephanie, whose kid will be working in my office. Thanks for having me on. all our vehicles and lock the doors so there was a real heavy police presence in our area when I was going down the road I could see searchlights I think to just to the north the next mile over so it was uh it was interesting but a real uh, they had the ERT team there it was a real heavy presence that was listener Lorne Ross sharing what he and his wife observed last night as police searched for a suspect that at one point prompted an alert that was sent to televisions and phones warning of an armed and dangerous suspect believed to be an immediate threat to the public. Now, the suspect was wanted in connection with allegations of uttering threats and pointing a firearm, as well as arrest warrants for multiple other offenses. He was arrested non not long after those first alerts went out, Loren. Superintendent Rob Lassen, who gave the briefings last night on both the search and then the arrest, joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. Can we uh, start with the escalation and concern? What happened in the hours between the search, which started Wednesday, and then last night that RCMP felt the need to put out this alert over the broadcast system? Right. So, as I mentioned last night, there was an extensive investigation ongoing from the start of the event at uh, approximately 12.52 p.m. on Tuesday, where Selkirk RCMP responded to a call of an individual pointing a shotgun. When police arrived and attempted to arrest this person, he fled the scene, at which time the RCMP initiated a, a, the first police pursuit. Unfortunately, the suspect evaded police, and the pursuit was terminated at that time. Uh, the search continued for the suspect overnight and into yesterday, where we utilized our critical incident command, emergency response team, police dogs, major crimes unit, and local detachments throughout the Interlake area. With the help of the Winnipeg Police Service, we encountered this individual again, uh, late yesterday afternoon, where a second uh, very high-risk pursuit ensued throughout the interlake. So as the investigation progressed, we always conduct an ongoing risk assessment, taking into account many factors, including the suspect's ongoing escalating dangerous behavior, in addition to the belief he was in possession of firearms. And last night, we concluded last evening it was very prudent for public safety that the RCMP issued a public alert to ensure everyone was aware of the risk invoked by other the potential risk invoked by Mr. Wadian. So, Superintendent Lassen, like the, the police don't trigger these types of alerts often. You referenced that last night. You're also referencing e- escalation of the situation. Are you prepared to share with us what that escalation looked like that, that made it go from something you could handle, uh, you know, internally to something that the, the public needed to be aware of in a broader sense? Yes, absolutely. So, so first, I just want to make it very clear that consideration to issue this public alert is taken very, very seriously and only used where we believe there is a very serious public safety risk. The decision is based on a very intensive risk assessment, and as of last evening, we deemed it appropriate. We, uh, we do not take it lightly and understand that it can be very alarming to the public when it's received over the phone and telephone. However, our primary focus is to ensure the safety of the public. And with that being said, we thank everyone's understanding and support throughout the incident last night. Some of our listeners are wondering why there wasn't a follow-up alert saying that he had been arrested. Uh, some are saying they did get a follow-up. Um, but should that be a, a primary part of the process? Uh, well, what we did last night is we did issue, um, we recalled the media back to D Division headquarters where I spoke again and did announce that he was safely arrested without incident. Uh, minutes after the broadcast was disseminated, and then there was a social media broadcast uh, announcing that as well. Is there room to make that part of the the public alert system, though? Uh, you know, because some people might say they might be on the road. It's helpful if it comes across the radio and that blaring sound, or if they're um, out and about, they don't always know. Would it make sense to have that be part of it, uh, Superintendent? I think that will be considered. And as you can understand, when these things are rolling out, they're very dynamic. So there's a lot of things to take into consideration. 
as uh, as we're making an arrest or, or processing a subject um, during these incidents. So those are all taken into account. But moving forward, if we do decide to do something like that, um, yeah, it will be uh, it'll be assessed against all all factors um, as it's ongoing. And, and understanding the suspect was armed and dangerous, is there anything more you can just say about, you know, were, th- were there further threats made or was there some behavior exhibited that made RCMP say we need to put this immediate threat alert out now? More specifics, yeah. I guess, is what I'm looking for, Superintendent. Absolutely. I won't get into the exact details of the individual's, um, you know, possession of firearms and things like that, but what I can say is, his behavior throughout the, the two days, it continued to escalate in a very unpredictable, erratic uh, manner. Um, so as we, as we assessed his behavior and also with the knowledge that we believed that he was in possession of uh, firearms and with some of his uh, past criminal history, we deemed him very high risk. Uh, we did not have him contained for quite some time and we felt that there was a risk to the public. Therefore, we felt it was a very appropriate to issue the, the public broadcast. Right now, we want to continue the conversation we started last hour, and we want to thank everybody who weighed in uh, with feedback on this. And that has to do, Loren, with, as we pointed last hour, something that might make some people feel uncomfortable, but it probably shouldn't. It's We're talking about periods. And you know what I'm amazed about, and, and one of the reasons why I, I'm glad we're revisiting this is, is the feedback from our listeners several people texted it in to say thank you for talking about this like there's no it's it's something many women go through for decades and it might start at a really young age and and we decided to talk about this thanks to an email from julie buckingham last night because they will continue this conversation today as well there's this company in ontario they make menstrual products and so it makes sense that they're talking about uh periods but they've decided to provide one paid day per month for those who might feel they need it to address whatever might be coming with, you know, the side effects or what their bodies are going through uh, during their period. And they're giving that one day off and it's paid. And it had a saying, you know, maybe that's something, is that something, is it something that should be done in some workplaces? How would you feel about that? Or at the very least, should we at least talk about it more and make it more common? So it's not this thing that we're, has such stigma attached to it. And I had said, you know, like you're whispering in the hallway, can I borrow us some uh, from you and all those kinds of things, which is silly when we don't hide other parts of our bodily functions. Well, you know, uh, mental health has come such a long way in terms of uh, our ability to discuss it, uh, at least more openly. We're not all the way there yet. But Loren, I have to ask you, like this is if you're having cramping and the issues of, of other sorts uh, around your, your period, like that is it, and you just need some time. Isn't that just plain and simply a sick day? So, two part question: Have you ever called in yourself, and has it been an awkward situation? If you have, no, I've never called in for that. But when I was younger in school, for sure, it was a situation where I would go home because of you know really honestly debilitating pain, and that's changed. You know, think everything changes over the years, but it's more just um, the idea. It's hard. I don't know how to feel about the idea of calling in sick because I don't want to look at it like you are sick because it's such a regular part of what we're supposed to go through and talk about. So, I, But at the same time, you know, you can just call in and say, today's my day. I'm not in. Right. And and that's the same way we do with mental health. It's supposed to be I'm not sick. I'm just I'm, I'm not feeling myself right now. This is part of who I am and I'm going to deal with it as part of who I am. So, no, I never have. I, I don't I don't mind the idea. Mostly what I like is that it's having people talk like I shouldn't feel any shame in saying to you guys and I haven't and you've been so great with it to say hey I'm going through this today just so you know like I I might have to duck out there's this happening that and you both have been great with it and I I have not certainly have not always felt that way in some workplaces but um I think it's really more just about eliminating the whispering behind it sure. it's so silly we have a text message here from somebody who says i honestly believe if some men felt the pain that we can deal with on a monthly basis they would definitely take a sick day yeah. because that pain can travel from cramps to back cramps then the hips tense up and then the spine gets sore it's really hell and that's the th- like i think for example if i have a nasty stomach ache and if it was something that was progressing all day long that might be something that 
makes me pick up the phone and say, I'm not coming to work today. So why should, you know, a woman who didn't, because some women get it really bad, right? Uh, Like I've known women who almost double over in pain. Like they just can't function because they're in so much pain. And to have to go through that every month? Why would I want, like, why should you have to go to work in that kind of condition? Well, yeah, why should you have to shroud it? Why should you have to grin and bear it? It just doesn't, it doesn't seem, is the word equitable, Loren? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's not uh, something that you go through, and I get that, but so many of us do. I talked about the half the population being female. Everyone has different ways they experience this. I get that, but it's the same idea that the tax on products was finally deemed unfair no in many countries, and the conversation finally took place here in Canada, right? You don't have to pay for this. I do. Can we at least eliminate the tax on it? And now we're getting to the part of a conversation where, where it's really not equitable for people who can't afford it. They have no choice but to go through this every month, but right. their dollars don't add up to pay for that product. And that's where it becomes additionally not equitable. So conversations around access, free access, free products, those kinds of things, I think are all really crucial, at least in the school setting or maybe in the public health setting. You know, we hand out free condoms in a lot of places. Why not free tampons? Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we are asking you to share your favorite Jets memories at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win bomber tickets for Saturday. Just to follow up, uh, we have Carol and Pete as one contact. We got a text from Pete earlier. Didn't realize it was... Pete of Carol and Pete fame, and Carol texted to say, because Pete texted to say that he and the, the Headhunters football team went to a game at the old barn, and he cut the uh, liners out of his parka so he could stuff it full of beer cans, and uh, she says there's another story about how all those beer cans actually broke through his jacket lining, oh, <laughs> so he had to chase him through the old arena, and uh, he made a lot of noise while he did that, so I think that's funny. Pete didn't include that part in his story. Mm-hmm. No, no. No, that, that would be uh, too much information and maybe embarrassing. I don't know, Pete. Carol and Pete, uh, two of our loyal listeners. Hey, I'm going to propose this on the fly. I've got the, I think I've got three finalists. These are all so good. Can we put it to a vote, to a listener vote this morning? Um, we're not going to have time to do all three right now. So I think what we're going to do, what we should do is call an audible. We're going to have to, if that's what you want to do, we can, but uh, we're going to have to hold it to 935. Okay, so it's either, it's either we pick one right now, or we proceed. No, the the, the all three let's of these. Hold let's hold it. Okay, it's one of those moments, Brett, that just happened where we texted you while you were speaking. Yeah. to say let's hold this. <laughs> then you hold this mock jock talk as my texts don't make sense. So you did not read my mind as I suggested you could do earlier. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I expect you, while you're hitting all the buttons in the studio, and mine, and Greg's, and doing the weather, and doing business, and bringing us on air, to read the text at the same time. Come on, Brett. Get the with text it. that doesn't make sense. <laughs> that I, I, can t- I can usually tell. <laughs> like when you said there's a, there's a great text about teens, uh, and then I looked and thought, oh, there's one on Timu here, so that's what that <laughs> means. <laughs> oh yeah! I see. You're very good at it. I'm. I'm now going to test you with my inept fat thumbs. Oh, I wouldn't call see them where that. Gets us. Uh, it's. It's just <laughs> you're. You're busy. We're celebrating Winnipeg sports today because Jets home opener tonight. We've got Bombers playing on Saturday. We have Bomber tickets up for grabs. So your texts on your favorite Winnipeg Jets memories shall determine who goes to the Bomber game. But we need your help. We need you to vote. We have three finalist texts. So you're going to weigh in. Send us a text. Who should win? Starting, Greg, with Dave. So we're going to call... Well, we'll name this one right after. It was the spring of 79, and the Jets parade was on a weekday. They'd won the Avco Cup. I was in grade eight at Westdale Junior High, and my mom... Uh, said there was no way I was going to this parade. I told her I was going. She said, no, you're not. Well, guess where I went, along with 20 of my closest friends. Thought I got away with it until the next day. My picture was on the second page of the Winnipeg Tribune. Me at the corner of Bordage of Maine getting autographs busted. She managed to get a copy of the picture, and it hangs in my office to this day. Great memories of the Jets' glory days and simpler times. So that one we're calling Tribune. Okay, so Tribune is one. Don't cast a vote just yet. Wait till you hear all three. The second one is Hawaii Gary. 
Gary says, during the Jets 79 playoffs, I was in Hawaii with friends. We just couldn't find out the score games anywhere. Not in the papers. Nobody there cared about the WHA. Near the end of our trip, we're in a bar called the Wet Noodle in Maui. And shockingly, we spot Winnipeg Jet defenseman and resident tough guy Kim Claxon across the bar. He went to Hawaii after the playoffs. We go up to him. He looks like he's going to punch us because he's a tough guy. We tell him who we are. And that's how we found out the Jets won. He was very friendly and bloody happy. So that's Hawaii Gary. Okay. This one called the Viscount. And I love this one in part because this is where our family used to always stay when we'd come into the city from Minnedosa. This came from a listener who said, I worked at the front desk of the Viscount Gord Hotel when Tamu Salani came to check in for training camp with the Jets. This was straight from the airport when he first landed in Winnipeg from Finland. He stayed at the hotel for a while. And the first English I ever heard from him was when he picked up the hotel PA microphone and proudly announced to the whole hotel, good morning, this is your wake up call. <laughs> <laughs> he then put it down and walked away laughing hysterically. I still have his hotel registration card that he signed that first night he arrived in Winnipeg. So we need you to cast your vote. Is it Tribune from Dave? Is it Hawaii Gary or Viscount Tamu? Blue Bomber tickets to give away for Saturday night versus BC based on your text messages. We went to you for the vote. We had Gary, we had Hawaii Gary, we had a story about Timu Solani at the Viscount Gort, but our winner is Dave and the Winnipeg Tribune. He was he was told by his mom, can't go to the Jets parade. He said, okay, fine, but he ended up going anyway. Thought he got away with it, but he was Pictured on page two of the Winnipeg Tribune in 1979. So, Dave, congratulations. You got the bomber tickets. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.